Sadie Scarlett is an author, a poet, and an actor, and she's joining us on Big Blend Radio today to talk about her debut novel. It's called Clouds and Earth, and it's the first installment in the Peace Outside trilogy. It's dark and thrilling, and uh, it, as soon as you turn the page, you're in it, man. And it's, to me, it should already be like a movie or a TV series because it's, it's just it's got a lot of action. It's got strong women. We like that. Uh, but everybody, if you're into sci-fi, contemporary fiction, uh, definitely for you. So I encourage you to go to her website. Of course, you can get it on Amazon, all those great places. Uh, go to her website, though, sadie-scarlet.com. And that's S-A-Y-D-E, sadie-scarlet.com. So welcome, Sadie. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Hey, we're very excited. So are you in London or in Dubai today? I'm in Dubai right now. Oh, wonderful. So what is it like out there? You, you, you were born there, um, right? Uh, I was born here, yep, and um, I still have family here. Uh, it's pretty great, and what they're doing here is, um, uh, you know, one of the most dynamic cities in the world. So it's an exciting place and an exciting time. Right. So now do you live there now, or do you go back and forth to London? Um, I, um, I work in Dubai most of the time, but I do go back and forth to London a lot. Mm. You've done a lot in London. This is interesting. So... You, you published a collection of poetry called Love Crimes, and then you yeah. go into sci-fi, and here's this future war, the long war. Uh, how did you go from Love Crimes to, to this? Uh, well, the story behind the poetry is I've been just been writing poetry for ages, for years, since I was like a teenager. Since I was about 14 years old, I really got into writing poetry, and I just thought... Um, it would just be such a shame for me to not, uh, for no one to see this and for me to not publish it. So I put it together and, um, yeah, just, just got it out there because I just thought it would be a shame to just, I mean, what, throw it all away? I don't know. Uh, mm. I just got to do something with it. So that's, that's what I did. Awesome. Because I think it kind of adds to your writing um, when you put clouds and earth um, as soon as, to me, it's always important that the first chapter gets you in and gets you hooked. But uh, you've got an incredible sense of place. You you write in the action, you get the characters immediately, and you understand the surroundings. So, do you think the poetry helps you with that? Um, I think that poetry helps you be dramatic, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes people forget that novels, you know, need to contain drama as, and conflict. And, uh, you know, people think that, oh, books are boring and slow and no, they've got to be dramatic and completely, uh, completely full of drama. So I actually do think the, um, the poetry makes you more well-rounded as a writer. So, yeah, a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, because there's drama. It's riveting, I'd say. That's what your book, that's the word, riveting. And reading Thank it. you. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, Clouds and Earth, uh, everyone, it's out again, but... Um, so the piece outside, tell us about this, because this is the first installment. Uh, yeah, so um, my idea for the trilogy was sort of uh, sort of an epic, sort of tragic, but action-packed sci-fi. Uh, and it follows sort of uh, the life of a soldier who has, you know, now there's peace. She can't find a place for herself in the world. Um, because so you know she's been so used to being at war it's consumed her entire life and uh, now that there's peace she has no idea what to do with herself uh, and she you know can't accept that there's no you know she has to build a whole new life 
and she just can't accept that. So this is, you know, that is the the starting point of uh, the Peace Outside trilogy. So she's bored. <laughs> she's bored, but it's 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 more than that. Yeah, she's well, she's strong-willed, and there's there's that part of her too that's got a, a bit of loneliness, right? So she's very independent too. Uh, yeah, I wanted to emphasize um, that. It can be really lonely work and that when you come back to the ordinary world, um, other people don't, just don't understand what you've, you've gone through, what you've seen. And I, I felt that it was really important to emphasize that and uh, just, you know, just to show that there was a barrier between being a soldier and being a civilian. Mm. What about like a sense of purpose? Like you, you go to war for a reason and then the war's over. Do you have to find a new sense of purpose? Absolutely. And, you know, because she has, you know, had a singular goal for years that just sort of, you know, when you think about life, I mean, I, I, I have, you know, a handful of goals I want to do in my life and a handful of things. I'm not consumed by one overwhelming thing. And if you have that, it can be very, very um, difficult to sort of let that go. And um, I read a lot about sort of sports people who had got injured and then they're like, well, mm. you know, I've been training for this since I was a small child and now I just, now I just don't, I can't do it. So I just have to accept and, you know, it's, it's, it's tough for them. And that's sort of um, mm. one of the things I thought about when I was creating this character. That's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that you have a woman, too. That's also really important. Uh, yeah, and I, um, when I was researching for this novel, I found that women are much more likely to have PTSD than men. And um, even though <laughs> the sort of stereotype that we always think of is a male soldier, um, I thought it was interesting to explore what if that was a woman because um, they're actually much more likely to suffer from PTSD and be more sensitive to it. Hmm. That's true. I mean, it, we've been through things in, in life, and then all of a sudden it sneaks up at you. It can, it can happen after the fact, after, after, a while after the fact. You yeah, know? absolutely. So that's, that's interesting to put in there, Maybe too. Maybe you can get it from having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that even people who witness having a baby – uh, can have PTSD. Uh, wow. I even read about an astonishing article um, about witnesses. Yeah, huh. things get rough. Wow, yeah. Wow. Okay, so there's one thing. I want to talk about these chips under the skin thing. This this yeah. freaks me out, and I feel like, because we're doing it to dogs now, that humans are next. I feel like it's going to happen, that we're going to have things under our skin. Yeah, I I kind of um, saw, like, I know that there's going to be a lot more emphasis on sort of biometric data, and I I kind of see the natural progression as sort of having identity chips, you know, under the skin, just like we do with animals. But, you know, that's, I'm not making a statement on whether that's good or bad, but I just thought it would be interesting, and I put it in the novel because I thought it might be interesting to explore um, what that means Mm. I, I read something about that the other day where parents are thinking of having the chips in put in their children so that yeah. if they get lost Ooh. or kidnapped, they'd be able to find them. So it's really not I that know. far and, 
you know, scary. yeah, I know. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of um, freaky because, you know, what's the probability of um, being kidnapped, a child being kidnapped? It's actually very low. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's an interesting topic to discuss whether it's even an appropriate reaction. And just because we have this technology, you know, should we use it? Um, not necessarily. Considering the probability of a child actually being kidnapped, then no, it's, it's, it's tiny. It's so low. So mm. that makes you think. Mm. It, it's interesting because you know, they, they label your book as sci-fi, and I feel like it's, it's, it's really more about progression. Because look at the technology we have. Look at what 3D printers are doing. You know, they, they can make a veggie burger. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of interesting when you look at it that way that um, I, don't, I don't know if sci-fi, sci-fi is part of reality, I think, in a, in a way. Yeah, and I've been tending to call it um, speculative fiction rather than sci-fi because people have told me, look, this isn't a typical sci-fi, there are no spaceships, um, it doesn't fit into, you know, it's recognizable as our world. But, you know, just, you know, nothing that I mention in the book is stuff that we don't actually already have. You know, we have all of this just in the early stages. So I've just taken it and, you know, so, okay, this stuff which is in its sort of prototype stages now that they're talking about in the news, I'll just put that in as if that is a part of daily life. And, you know, that's the way I saw the world progressing. A lot of people think the world is getting worse than what it was. What do you think? Well, this is what's extraordinary, is that Mm. if you ask people, you know, people are generally pessimistic. They're like, oh, the world, it's going to the dogs. Everything's getting worse. And there are no statistics and, you know, no sort of hard facts or empirical evidence that say, yes, our world is worse than it was. Um, It isn't. You know, we live much better quality lifestyles. Um, You know, we have medicine and technology that, you you know, you know, an ordinary person has the technology and the lifestyle that a king would not be able to get, um, you know, years ago. And that's what I think is missing. And I, I feel mm-hmm. like that sense of perspective, um, yeah, is, is yeah, very skewed um, towards this pessimism. And there's very little empirical evidence that the world is getting worse. I think it's that hum- humans are still, is the good and the evil is still, you know, well, part that's of always going to be. It's, it's <laughs> human beings are still being human beings. We've progressed with technology, with you know, industrialization. Some of it on the negative side. Uh, so that's our lessons to learn with. How do we have all these balances? But at the same time, look at human beings have. We have gluttony in the form of like we eat too much. We're living longer. We're bigger people now, you know, so it's interesting. And just in our, our physical, physically, we've changed. <laughs> too. Yeah. Well, it's true because I, I, I mean, I also asked myself when I was writing this book, I said, you know, what stays the same? You know, what, 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 you know, what has always existed? What has always been the same? What have people always been like? And I try to sort of put that in the novel too and sort of saying that, yeah, that, you know, we're now taking for granted, a, you know, a whole new set of technology, but 
what's still the same, you know, heartache, pain, um, as you said, gluttony, vices, poor judgment, poor choices. Um, This sort of thing always stays the same. And that's what I try to emphasize. You know, you can sort of, I could play with humanity by taking humanity and putting it into a sort of different setting or, you know, right, this is definitely our world and people are definitely the same, but it's in the future and what does that mean and what stays the same and human beings will always stay the same. But yeah. on the other hand, um, some cultures are, are more enlightened in that um, we don't practice human sacrifices anymore. You know, because back yeah. in, in, in the day, there were human sacrifices and far more wars than what we have now and far more cruel wars, uh, like with hand-to-hand combat, uh, you know, what a, one person is willing to do to another. You know, now, of course, oh, absolutely. you can just, like, push a button and kill a whole bunch of people and, and not even get your hands dirty, so to speak. You know, so yeah. we have learned to distance ourselves and... um yeah, a bomb to me is just as cruel as hand-to-hand combat. But on a day-to-day basis, most of us don't get into that. Whereas, you know, in the early True. man, I think there was day-to-day combat all the time. Yeah, and it's it's quite strange because, you know, in our daily lives, like on a micro level, I get there is much less personal violence and personal mm-hmm. um you know, personal, you know, you're much, you know, in the medieval times, you know, your life as an ordinary person would have been filled with a lot more violence uh, and a lot more fighting and physical activity and physical violence. But now, you know, there are, you know, you have less violence in your day-to-day life, but we still have, you know, huge weapons. And sort of on a macro level, uh, there's been, you know, there are more sort of huge weapons and violence and 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 you know when we do wage war it's much more destructive but right. we're much less likely to wage war and you know i think the cold war was like a perfect example of this you know everybody was developing weapons all the time the most powerful intense weapons anyone had ever seen um bragging about it um these weapons yeah we we're, we're just going to brag about a weapon that can destroy all of humanity it's bizarre when you think about it uh, but um, they weren't ever used. It never became a hot war. Uh, so I think that that is quite an interesting, you know, an interesting point is that you know, we're, we're more able and more capable of waging a much more violent war, but we don't. You know, it's sort of, you know, it feels like, you know, yeah, obviously developed nations are uh, in, participate in wars a lot less now, uh, but they still have, you know, all the you know the biggest weapons uh, ever. It's yeah, bizarre. and the the bragging part. I always wonder if if the most of the world leaders were women. I don't know that they would be talking to each other in the fashion of oh we've got the bombs. Ours are much bigger than yours, and we'll just we'll just blow them all to you know where. Um, like some male, I don't even want to use the word leaders say. Um, that bragging is a male possibly thing. I wonder if women yeah. would do that if they were in control. Like I've got a bigger bomb than you do. Well, that's 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 kind of a true and interesting point because um, you know, for instance, Margaret Thatcher went to war in the Falklands, um, didn't really yeah. even hesitate. So you know, we say that, but um, mm. I don't think we've got a big enough sample size size of um, female leaders to actually assess 
oh, if, if it's true, if it's true whether mm. women would wage war less, we have no idea. Um, so I'd love to see a, a study on that. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I don't think that exists. <laughs> I think it's time for women to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's what I have to say. The right ones, the right ones. And I think there is a change. I mean, if you look at the world getting better, look for women, how we are progressing. And we're, we're starting to become actual, looked at as human beings, depending on the culture you're in and the place you're in. Um, it's, been a, it's been a fight for us women. And I think oh, now... Yeah. For voting rights and all sorts yeah. of rights. I mean, rights. even for women in military. That's what I think was, is so interesting with your book, too. You know... It, here in this country, in America, we're still battling with women being accepted as, as, you know, joining the army. Yeah. And also, it's kind of odd that, you know, women aren't because a lot of the ways that we wage war now are much more distant. It's not a case of, oh, we need more men in the army because, you know, it's a, it's a matter of physical strength. Well, what, you know, not if you're using yeah. a drone. It's, that's, that's got nothing to do with it. So it's quite odd and we've come, become a bit more distant from war. And, you know, so, uh, so it, the, the old arguments that were made, you know, for war and for women in war absolutely just don't exist anymore. That's right. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, well said, yeah. Now, now, tell us about the next two books. I mean, how long did it take you to put, you know, Clouds and Earth together? Because, you know, this is, it's it's intense and so did it take you a while to to write it or did you write all three together well um uh i didn't write all three together although some i kind of feel like i should have done and then you know release them sort of in within a couple of months uh but i basically i started this actually on this journey in 2013 and it's it started as a um a screenplay Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I just felt that I couldn't tackle what I wanted to tackle in that format, and so it became a novel. And I translated, it, you know, the 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 episode that I had written into prose. Mm. And um, it actually, you know, it, I finished it in 2017. So it took me about four years. But when I say four years, <laughs> that was not continuity. I, sure. you know, I had I was moving jobs. I was moving country. And so uh, it probably took me, most of it was um, filled in the last, you know, the last four or five months of um, uh, 2017. Uh, so I'd say about 60% of the book was, was written then. But um, I just thought about the whole story. Uh, the whole story is mapped out. And so it will be sort of almost 260,000 words when it's done. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, I've already started book two. Uh, and it's it's going to be a wild ride, but you know it's it's tough because if you're dealing with intense things and some of the scenes, I was like, well, if I'm not crying, then the <laughs> the audience won't be crying either. So there mm. we go. Yeah, that because that's what I'm saying. It's riveting, but it's it's personal, it's emotional, and now I understand why. Like I could I could feel like the poetic side of it. You know, it's it's colorful. You can feel it's tangible, and that's what's freaky. <laughs> things are tangible, you know. So would you like to see it on a screen, whether it's, you know, a TV screen or a movie screen or a Netflix screen? Oh, I'd love to, but I I don't make those decisions. And uh, some of those decisions are, like, uh, out of my control, if you know what I mean. So um, I feel like when, you know, 
they they come to you. You don't go to them. Yeah. <laughs> so I I would love to, but we'll see. Now, okay. So now, if it, if that happened, because I know that you also have an acting background, would you step in and be Sandy? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh. uh, so I I I used to be an actor, but I retired um, a while ago, uh, and I I yeah. I don't think uh, I would I would do that. No, I don't think I'd be the right person. She's um, not like me, uh, so I, yeah, I, I, so I don't know if you, I, if you're surprised by that answer. No, I mean the the funny thing is is that I was an actor for almost ten years, and I I am now loath. You know, it's very hard to get me on stage or in front of a camera now just because whatever desire that I had to be an actor um, just, just just went away. And I, I, I only get satisfaction from writing now. That's, the, that's my creative satisfaction. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's a big difference. When you're writing, you're in control. When you're acting, you're having to take instruction. Oh, yeah. Mm. And when you're writing, it's your art. Mm. It's your own art. You are in 100% mm-hmm. control. When right. you're an actor, you're, you're effectively the servant of the person who wrote the script and the person who's exactly. directing the production. So you're, you're, you, are, you, are, you, know, you are the servant and not the master. And, and now that I'm the master, I don't think I can go back to being sort of the servant, if you know <laughs> what I mean. You know, oh, I yeah, love this. Yeah. I love this. It is about control, man. That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Creative control. I love that. Creative control. I, it's, it's true. Oh, yeah. Now, Sandy, did you have someone that you know, or is she just a complete creative, you know, did you, did you look at other women and take their qualities to build Sandy's character? Um, I, she is sort of, yeah, she's sort of based on a whole, like, a pastiche of pe- other people I know and um, sort of people's dark sides um, when you see them, and I've sort of borrowed from here and there. Um, so I, you know, the way I see her is sort of someone I, could, I would like, but someone other people may not necessarily like. Um, and so she's sort of a friend of mine, um, but uh, maybe someone who other people don't real don't understand why I'm friends with her. That's sort of how I feel about her. Mm. And so I took, um, yeah, she. I'm a lot more um, neat and fastidious, and I don't think I would. I, I don't, you know, handle stress well. She's someone who strikes me as, you know, very re- uh, resilient mm. up to a point. And, um, you know, she's sort of someone who's buried her sensitivity and uh, I'm a very sensitive person and would never do that. And so she's, yeah, she strikes me as someone with qualities I wish I had and qualities that I'm glad I don't have. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. But the yeah. thing, too, when, you know, when you're writing, you know, something and, and having that personality and it's and it's not you, you know, there's that part where, like, do I really make her do this? Oh, I can. Let's just do it. You know what I mean? There's those decisions to make. And then how does that feel when you do that, make that decision? And it may, you know, may not be the positive thing that you would do in your life. You're like, I I would never do that. 
do you have that emotion like, okay, I just went there, but not really, not me personally, but I yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did feel uncomfortable and I felt uncomfortable with the things she did, but I thought, you know, you know, this is someone who doesn't have good judgment, who's, whose mind is damaged a bit. And, um, you know, she makes terrible decisions, but that's, um, uh, that's, that's, that's the reality that she's living in. Um, and if you live in a different reality, you make different um, decisions and choices and the decisions and choices I wouldn't make. Now, I know, I, I don't know if you're doing this now or, or this was in the past, but I know that you've worked as a financial crime investigator. Does that help oh, yeah, you? That, right. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be that, I mean, that's, you're, you're looking at all those little fine details and um, does that help you with researching and, and understanding this what you've written i mean it there's it you have to look at the future and technology and and you know war and peace and everything so does that help you uh yeah it does cuz um that's my my current profession and you know um just you know uh, just the other day you know i i had a decision uh, you know uh, a conversation with um one of my colleagues about you know, right? What are they doing in that country? Um, what on earth? Why? Why are they there? Um, you know that sort of thing. And I actually, you know, I sort of included a character who I knew was going to be sort of a, a financial crime investigator in the book before I got the job. You know, because <laughs> I wanted to move into this uh, into this sector. And I sort of, that was sort of like wish fulfillment for me. Uh, so one of the male characters in the book, um, that's his role. And mm-hmm. I wrote him into the book before uh, I got the job. Uh, so that was just a very weird coincidence. But um, it helped me shape his role a little bit. Um, but also um, it helped me realize that uh, people sort of don't have perfect information. And they can never have perfect information, especially when someone is, trying Mm. to avoid giving you information because it's a sign of criminal activity so I think what comes across in the book is you know they're trying to make the best decision they can on less than perfect information you know it's like well look it walks like a duck it doesn't quack like a duck but it definitely walks like a duck so we're going to work on the assumption that it's a duck and we're going to look for more information to see if um, it quacks like a duck duck too Uh, so and that's you know that you know the job that I eventually got really drove home the point that nothing is actually black and white and people who we think um you know these are the type of people who should be able to get perfect information nope (laughs) they're just out in the world in the same sort of doing their best just like everyone else you know that's it's interesting because Nancy and I've done some you know the financial crimes, to me, it goes, it, it's fascinating. <laughs> well, because some of the, not you, Nancy, but the, the things, some of the things we've gotten involved in over here is looking at, um, well, all these companies have shell companies, and then you to, to dig in, it, there was this, you know, I don't know if you yeah. saw what was happening here in regards to, uh, you know, a, the, the water issue here and, and oil companies coming in and trying to take Native Americans' lands. And we were covering this and started digging into who was really behind it. And it was all banks mm-hmm. and oil companies, and they were all connected in some way. And it really always, and it's just, once you start digging in, it's like, holy cow. 
you, that's all you're going to do for the rest of your life is figure this out because they've, it's layer upon layer upon layer of um, doo-doo. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, it's and crazy. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's, it's fascinating. And, what you know, it, you have to step back and be quite objective about it. But, you know, just because someone is linked to someone in one way doesn't mean that they know each other or, you know, you don't know what the actual nature of that relationship is. They could be best friends and colluding with each other or they could only meet, have met each other once in passing at a board meeting or something like that mm. um, and not actually know. And so, you know, determining what are the actual nature of the relationships, um, that is often, you know, the hardest part. You know, quantity is not necessarily quality, and that's something that, you know, I, I deal with and I sift through um, all mm. the time. Um, it, and we're like, yeah, yeah, who owns that? <laughs> and do they yeah, actually exactly. Yeah. Who, who really does? And sometimes, it, yeah, it, it's interesting because we were actually having a conversation with friends last night about this. A, a certain organization we know, they're – not really living up to their their mission statement, if you will, and it's a, a a community organization. And I was talking to a friend about like, you know, they're not doing this and that. And the first thing he turned around and said is, this organization needs to have an audit. And I said, well, stra- strange you would say that they did, and they didn't per- put the person away that we thought should. And the actions are still happening. The same. It's kind of like smoke and mirrors. Like someone's creating a noise over here so you don't see what's really going on uh, over there. And um, it's quite interesting that um, just how people act. Because, so when you're looking at things not being black and white and you're looking at, okay, this is what's on paper, there is, I mean, do you have to meet people to kind of figure it out and like emotionally? Because there's emotions too that give, you know, body language and things that, that give things away. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And also, a lot of people won't put their money where their mouth is because something right. I learned recently, um, I was trying to set up a nonprofit and I'm still trying to set it up, but it's been a lot harder than I thought it was, mm. was everybody agrees with me. Everybody wants to help me. But everybody, you know, is like, yes, we support you, but you go do that. I don't actually want to be involved. I completely agree with you, but actually, you know, giving you my time <laughs> and my money and, you know, doing the right thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, you you do that. Good for you, but you do it. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. actually, for, so for instance, you know, everybody, often everybody knows when companies are, you know, doing very sketchy things, but actually doing something about it, people are scared. And if people are sort of like, well, why should I put myself out? Why should I potentially, you know, ruin my life or have the next five years worth of stress? dealing with this company when I can just, you know, go about my life. And I kind of, you know, I, I get that. I really get that. Um, but, you know, some people have to have to do that job. Uh, so, you know. Hmm. Well, I think it's powerful oh. what you're doing between the, you know, being the financial crime investigator, cool, <laughs> and, and hmm. detailed work, and then writing. And I think that that's part of it, you know, and you can come in through the creative role, and investigating is creative. It makes you think. And I think those two things together can um, and bring enlightenment to people, open their eyes to things. And sometimes the creative role yeah. is stronger. Um, it's a yeah, stronger and, tool. Yeah. And often um, people sometimes forget that, you know, things can be, you know, things can 
several things can be true at once. I read this somewhere. And, you know, it can be this and this and this. And that makes it just more complicated. And those two things seem to contradict each other. But it's true. You know, it, it, it's definitely, I think, you know, how much creativity I have to use. Um, investigations is, is very interesting. And I think that that would surprise a lot of people. Uh, but, yeah, sometimes, you know, through an artistic medium, you can you can get a message through better and more efficiently because it comes with a story and people remember a story, you know, more than they just remember cold, hard facts. Sometimes you have to wrap the facts up in a story for people to remember them. Mm, that's really true. Well, that's how you get it in, it, make it personal for them. As, yeah. If it's not personal, then then you don't remember it so well. It has you know, to be all about yeah. them. Yeah, well, it's like in history class in in high school didn't mean very much to most kids. Once they get out and they start seeing maybe historic films or they go to museums or they go to archaeological places, sites, and things like that, um, that the history starts to become personal to them. So they yeah. remember it, I, yeah. and it has impact. But books on their own, Absolutely. especially textbooks, are like, bleh. <laughs> Yeah, like and you know textbooks. this is this is why they used to like storytelling used to be through plays, mm. and it mm. was both educational and storytelling at the same time, and before people were literate. But um, in many ways, that's sort of the way that people learn more um, through mm-hmm. through through plays, and that's why uh, drama was sort of invented. You know, it was an, it was initially an educational tool, uh, but because it was so powerful um that's 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 where um a lot of our storytelling comes from mm, that's true mm-hmm. yeah good stuff so and clouds on earth and earth there you are there's the balance right <laughs> the opposites and the balance i like that and everyone again it yeah. is out now by sadie scarlet you can go to her website sadie-scarlet.com and that's s-a-y-d-e sadiescarlet.com uh, dash scarlet.com of course you can get the book on amazon and all those great online stores it's always good to connect with the author directly and we want to thank uh, jkscommunications.com there are partners in literature and uh, they're part of what we do here on big blend radio and also a sponsor of our love your parks tour uh, where nancy and i are traveling full-time across the country to document parks and uh, also tell community stories and JKS Communications has partnered with us to go and find literary stories everywhere we go. And we're finding fun. them. Finding. Yeah, it's fun. fun. <laughs> yeah. So thanks again for joining us, Sadie. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, thank you for having me. I've had so much fun. It's been a good, good. conversation. You never know where these are going to go. I know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, listen, have fun, you know, unraveling all those crimes. And uh, if you have any good juicy scoops, call us. <laughs> we want to know. <laughs> oh, uh... I will do. But thank you so much. You take care and and, uh, keep us posted on book number two. We're looking forward to that. Brilliant. Thank you.